Have you ever seen someone that everyone else loved, but you just weren't so sure about it? Sometimes you get a, a gut feeling about someone and you can't really put your finger on it, but you just don't trust them. And sometimes you're right and other times you're off base. But that's a hard feeling to ignore. Maybe it's a certain politician or maybe it's even a five, six and three quarters pastor that you might know. You see this a lot with college football coaches, right? But uh, what happens is you look at a certain situation and this certain coach goes there and you're like, that's not going to last very long. And you can just kind of feel it. You're not sure why, but there's something that's off and you have questions. Maybe you were even on board at first, but then you see some decisions, you question, and all of a sudden your faith is shaken. You may not know this, but John the Baptist had something like this happen in his life as well. Way back in season one of Jesus the series, years and years ago, we talked about how John, the cousin of Jesus, prepared the way for the public ministry of Jesus Christ. And he uh, preached, he had a message that was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Get ready. He was a great and charismatic speaker. John's whole ministry was pointing to and preparing the way for the coming Christ. John even had the privilege to baptize Jesus. And we know Christ was sinless and God in the flesh. He didn't get saved. He didn't, obviously, he didn't need forgiveness for sins because he never sinned. But he was baptized as an example for us. And uh, baptism doesn't save us. It's the first step of obedience for a Jesus follower, to publicly identify as a follower of Jesus Christ. A little side note here, if you have yet to take that step and you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you become a Jesus follower and you haven't yet uh, stood in front of a group of people, the church, and said, I am a follower of Jesus, we would love to talk to you about that. You can talk to one of your pastors, you can write that on your connection card when you turn it in. But John helped prepare the people for the Messiah to start teaching and preaching. And John recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. And he knew that as uh, the ministry of Jesus were to become more influential, his ministry would become less and less. He knew that he was unworthy to baptize Jesus or to even latch his sandals. See, John kind of caused a little bit of trouble because he proclaimed that Herod isn't the real king, that Jesus is the king of kings. But then something happened. And John the Baptist goes to prison and he starts to have some questions. And he starts to wonder if he is so sure about Jesus. Now John was in prison because he spoke against the divorce and remarriage of Herod, the Roman ruler in that area, to his own brother's ex-wife. And John says, hey, this is weird. You can't do that. And they threw him in prison. And he most likely was in prison in a fortress called the Fortress of Herod, which was Macarius. And here's a, a picture rendering of what it could look like. It overlooked the Jordan River. Here's another picture, and this is what it looks like today, if you go to the next one. So John's in prison in this fortress, and uh, John was in prison until Herodias, 
the aforementioned wife of the king. Isn't that kind of weird? His name's Herod and her name's Herodias. Can you imagine if Tori's name was uh, Philodius, right? That'd be weird. But uh, she influenced the king. She didn't like that John was speaking against their marriage. And she influenced the king to behead John the Baptist. But before that, while John was suffering in a dark, dank prison, he was hearing about Jesus' ministry and all that was going on. And John began to have some questions. We see that in Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. You can find that in your notes app or in your notes in our Clarksburg Baptist Church app. You pull it up in your Bible. There's pews, uh, the Bible's in your pews as well. Matthew 11, 1 through 3. When Jesus had in, uh, finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is come, or shall we look for another? It seems like a big life change for John the Baptist. He went from, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world to, are you the one or should we look for another? Now, John was in a bad situation and he was feeling it. This wasn't a stay at the Hampton Inn with a, a you know, breakfast provided and you got to have those little, you know, the, the waffles that they have. And man, how many of you like those waffles? My, my wife loves them. We went to, uh, Noah and I went to a uh, different hotel, and it actually had a thing where you waved your hand in front of this machine, and there was this conveyor belt, and it shot pancake uh, on this conveyor belt, and then cooked it, and then it, they just flopped out. I never felt more like I was in the Jetsons than watching this pancake machine. <laughs> but this wasn't a stay like that. This was a... a terrible place. He was in his own filth and it was dark and it was dead. This was a terrible place to be. It was difficult. Have you ever doubted God's plan or even his goodness when you're in a bad situation? Now, it's one thing to have a bad day. It's another to be stuck in a constant loop of disappointment month after month or even years. This message that John had been given by God was that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but it didn't look like it. It didn't feel like it for John. This did not feel like heaven. John must have had an idea that he would soon be executed. So he wants to know if it's all worth it. Are you the Messiah or should we look for another? John had been warning the enemies of God that they better repent, but now it seemed as though they were winning and that there was no end in sight to his suffering. And if there was no kingdom and if there was no judgment for the wicked, was there really ever a Messiah? Now, John remembered the voice of God from heaven telling him that Jesus was the Son of God and that God was pleased with him. But maybe that felt like it was so long ago now. Maybe he heard something wrong, or maybe he was just caught up in a moment. And he knew that Jesus was teaching, and people were following him, and it was making a big splash. You know, it was going awesome. Jesus was real popular. But John's sitting alone in a cell, 
And this didn't feel like freedom or deliverance. Maybe Psalms 2, 1 through 2 flew through John's mind. Verses like, why do the nations rage? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Or maybe John remembered Psalms 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall the enemy be exalted over me? This Messiah was supposed to be the king of kings. But King Herod seemed to be winning right now. Maybe this wasn't what John expected, but God has a way of working that way. If it was up to John, he might have brought God's kingdom in another way. John might have thought that Jesus would be more like an Old Testament prophet, calling fire down from heaven to defeat the pagans or splitting the seas to lead the people of God to the promised land. John might have expected Jesus to invade this fortress and tear open the bars of the cell and rescue him, remove King Herod from the throne and sit on it forevermore. But instead, Jesus was feeding peasants rebuking Pharisees and eating with sinners. Jesus was popular, but perhaps in John's eyes, it was for all the wrong reasons. N.T. Wright says this, and I think you could probably vibe with it. He says, just as wicked people don't like the message of judgment because they think rightly that it's aimed at them, so sometimes good people don't like the message of mercy because they think wrongly that people are going to get away with wickedness. And sometimes we can look at what's going on in the world and we can say, God, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing something? And we can begin to feel like our faith is shaken a little bit or there are doubts that might rise up in us. So John sends two of his followers to Jesus to say, look, are you the Messiah or not? Should we be looking for another? This is not how I thought things were going to go. And this is how John, uh, Jesus responds in Matthew chapter 11, verse 4. Jesus answered and said, Go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So Jesus shows some of the things that he has been doing to John's followers. He's been giving sight to the blind. The lame have been walking. Lepers healed. Dead raised. Poor have been given the good news. People are being changed. But it's not a coincidence that Jesus told these things to John's followers to go and tell John. Because all these fulfillments... All these events are fulfillments of prophecy from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 29, 18. Talks of this coming Messiah. It says, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. Next in chapter 35 it goes on and says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And the lame man shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. 
Isaiah told of the time when the, uh, the Messiah would come. And that it would be like streams in the desert and there would be hope and flooding through the world. Now see, the judgment piece of the Messiah prophecy hasn't happened yet. Bringing the wicked to justice and setting the world completely new. But it will. And the Jews here were hoping the Messiah skipped to the part where everything was fixed and that they were had control of their country again and the people were thriving and God reigning here on this earth. But God isn't there yet. But he will be one day. And for now, he's drawing all people to his son, Jesus, to bring them back to himself, to comfort them and bring them hope and heal their hurts and pains so that they might fulfill their purpose of bringing glory to God. He's doing something so much bigger than fixing their political problems. That is temporary. Instead, he's fixing the spiritual problems, which is eternal. But notice this. Notice that Jesus does not rebuke John the Baptist for asking the questions. Are you the Messiah or should should we look for another? Jesus is tender and patient. Jesus walks John and his followers through what's going on, giving evidence. And in the next verses, Jesus reminds people how amazing John's ministry was and how it shook up Jerusalem and how John was a key part of this Messiah story because there is Old Testament prophecy that talks about John coming as well. And then Jesus gives John a big compliment. He says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Well, think about what John had done in his life. In the beginning, John, John didn't uh, just jump up and, and join a movement. He started a movement. He stepped out and he led the way and he put himself out there and he struggled in poverty in the wilderness, eating locusts and honey, wearing camel skin, following God. But if John had doubts now, Jesus responded in a way that showed his tenderness and his caring. And this is an example to us when we have wavering faith. There's a common word out there if you're on Twitter and and other places, which you probably shouldn't be, it's all trash. There's a common word out there called deconstruction. And there are two definitions of this word. One is really more deconversion. Right, where they take their faith and they just blow it up. And here are all the reasons that I'm not a Christian anymore. But there's another definition of that word that describes people that were churched, they were Christians, but now they have questions about leadership and about how they were taught theology and how they had Christianity modeled for them. And they're people that are trying to figure out where God's word really says that we should be. Now, there's another group of people that are scared to death of this word, deconstruction. And some fear it because they're worried that people will think for themselves. Some fear that they might be losing something. Some of it is worry that the faith might not hold up. But here's my call to you. 
There is no use in pretending to hold on to something that you're not sure you believe anymore and then burying it deep down and never confronting it. Ask questions. Why? Because doubts are the antibodies that strengthen our spiritual immune system. And if we have the truth, we shouldn't be scared when people ask questions. We should also want people to be genuine in their faith and be sincere. And that comes from a personal faith where you've worked through it on your own. And we should show kindness to people that have been hurt by the church. And we should be curious why their faith is shaken. Maybe like John, they had some expectations that weren't in line with God's will. Or maybe the God that they are trying to eject out of their lives actually doesn't exist. I've heard people say, I don't believe in some old white-haired man in the sky sitting on a throne and throwing lightning bolts at us. I don't believe in that God either. It actually sounds a lot more like Zeus than God. Parents, you might be scared to death of this situation if your kids begin to ask questions. But instead of telling them just, hey, just figure it out. You'll be, you know, just try harder. Instead of that, listen with them and struggle with them and point them to Scripture and pour over it with them and pray with them that they might have a sincere and genuine faith that pushed past the doubts rather than shutting it down and telling them to bury it deep down inside of them. Parents, this is a reminder that you are the prime discipler of your children. It's great to come here and it's great to have Pastor Josh and our children's ministry people and our student uh, leaders help lead your children. But if, they, if you're not living it at home, it's going to be way harder. And if you aren't willing to ask those questions with them and to sit and listen and talk through it, then it's not going to be easy for them to have that sincere faith. Now, part of the problem is you have those questions and doubts and you haven't taken ownership over them and worked through them yourself yet. You're scared. And you might have grown up in a church that said, don't ask questions, just fall in line. But that's not what we see in God's word. Instead, take your questions to the one that can answer them. Don't be scared to say, God, I... This is different than what I thought it was going to be. Well, maybe the problem is what we thought it was going to be was wrong. We see here that John brought his doubts and questions to God. When I've had these questions myself and these doubts, I grew up in church. I was in church, I'm sure, two weeks after I was born and 20 times a week after that. But I had struggles like this. Because sometimes, if we're not careful, we replace the church and the pastor and the leaders for God, right? And when we start to see cracks in the church and the pastor and the leaders, then we begin to have our faith shaken in God. But these two things don't equal each other. If you have faith in God because of what I look like, that's a terrible idea. Don't do that. I may fail you one day. I probably already have failed you. God's people are not God. 
Hypocrisy in the church is not proof that God is not good. Hypocrisy will come. Hypocrisy probably happened today. Instead, push through because God is bigger than all this. And God lies much deeper than some of the surface relationships that we have and never substitute a pastor or the church for God. I've had these questions myself and I didn't like some of the answers. (laughs) God, why is this sin? God, why, why don't you do this? This would be a great idea for you to do, God. And if you were who I thought you were, you would do this. A good God would do this. Or God, it's uncomfortable for me to believe this because of the way the culture is going. I'd much rather, yeah, maybe I'll twist some of these words around and I'll find it deep in the meaning that something contrary to God's word is okay. That's easier, God. Sometimes we don't like the answers that we find, but that's okay. Because you've got to remember that his ways are different than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. They're better. And I am finite, and I am fickle, and I only live on this earth for a split second, and he is infinite and never changing, and he has no beginning and no end. So I choose to trust him. And I ask him to help me to get on his page. And that's good, because questions are the antibodies of belief. If you were never sick, your immune system would be fairly weak. We've seen that throughout history, when groups of people have been wiped out of history because of a single disease that that group had never seen, so they had no protection. And questions make your faith stronger and more resistant. Don't run from them. Sit patiently with them. Sit patiently with people that have them. And speak the truth and listen without judgment. And let them struggle. But come alongside them and pray with them that they come out the other side more convinced than ever. Why? Because it does no one any good to have a fake faith. Authentic or nothing. And the only way you push to authenticity is by asking the questions and driving deeper. And hey, we've got some crazy questions in our society today. We've got a lot of things that are hard for us to understand. And the culture says this, but the Bible says this. And, but we love people. And even though they're doing this thing, it, it's, it's hard for us to understand why God might say that's wrong. But his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we only live here for just a second in a vapor. There was a time not long ago where society thought that enslaving people was okay. Right? uh, Society thought it was okay to ostracize women and and not, uh, you know, value them. Society changes. God never changes. So we say... God, I defer to you. I'm going to ask the questions. I'm going to struggle with them. I'm going to make sure it's what God is saying. And then I'm going to say, God, I don't get it, but I trust you. We don't know how John reacted to the news from Jesus. But judging from the fact that Jesus knows everything, I'm sure it was exactly what John needed to hear. 
And I'm sure his questions were silenced forever. John had said, are you the one or should we look for another? And Jesus sends back, I am the fulfillment of the messianic prophecies. Sometimes we're tempted to feel like God is wasting his time by not judging the wicked. We can look at the world and say, God, you need to get them. But there's a time when you are on the side of the wicked. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God was patient with me and showed mercy to me. Sometimes we're tempted to be disappointed with God that he doesn't do things our way. Perhaps today you feel like you're stuck in a prison of circumstances, of sorrow, of despair, and you look around at other people in this point of their life, things are going really great, but they're wicked and they, they don't do the things of God, and you're saying, I'm trying, and I'm, I'm in this mess, and they're not trying, and God, they're blessed. And it's hard for us. And we can think that we're suffering more than everybody else. But don't forget, this life is just a little bit of time. This life is not actually what's important. There's another life after this that stretches on for eternity. And you can trust God. And He is good. Maybe you were all in on Jesus, but something happened and now you're not so sure. Instead of never asking the question and falling out of church and never looking back, don't you think it deserves to ask some questions? Don't you think it deserves to take those doubts to God? Be like John to be bold enough to ask the questions and seek the Savior and take your doubts to Him. He won't reject you. He won't push you away. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And you can come to the Father through Him. And ultimately, it makes so much sense that an almighty God that has infinite power and wisdom and is perfect and holy and righteousness and fair, he would do things maybe a little bit different than I would. So it totally makes sense that there are some things that don't make sense to my small mind. So instead, ask the questions. Embrace the doubts. But remember, they're just doubts. In fact, get in the practice of doubting your doubts and put them to the test and ultimately land on that you remember who is the creator and who is the creation. Because God's ways are not our ways. God is good and he is in control. So push through the valley because there will be mountaintops again. Every head bowed and, and eyes closed. Someone once said, I can't remember who it is now, but the gospel no more needs defended than a lion needs defended. God's word is true, and it has been true for millennia. No matter how far we progress, 
And no matter how technologically and scientifically we begin to learn things and are able to do things, we always just open more doors to more questions. And that's because an infinite creator created 